Sorry, bro. I just can't, I can't get there. Right? So we struggle with the incarnation. And so what we're looking at is John 1, 14, where it says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And really that word dwelt is kind of what we're, we're hopping off of. Our series is called Pleased to Dwell, which is a really a quote from Colossians 1, 19. So we're kind of taking that idea that, that God was pleased to dwell among us. And that word actually is rendered often, he tabernacled among us, right? Like he, he, he has put up his tent among us. And so what we're going to do is look at the history of God taking up his tent among us. When Jesus came, this was not the beginning of God being manifested among his people. This is not the first appearance of God dwelling with his people. And so we see, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So when, when the early church would hear these words, you and I just hear like, oh, okay, like God was pleased to dwell. The reason he transitions immediately from he tabernacled among us is as soon as you hear that word, you start to think about the glory of the Lord that rested with the tabernacle. So we're actually going to go back. So if you have a Bible and want to track with us, we're going to go back to Exodus 25 is where our first text will be. Let me pray for us. I know Jesse already prayed, but his prayer was only half valid. Um, <clears throat> see, this is the danger of the sp spiritual bantering of belittlement is whoever has the mic last often, although he's doing benediction, so I should be careful. Um, so... <laughs> Ah, let me pray for us and then we'll dive into uh, the word of God this morning. Lord, we, we come here and we are distracted and we are uh, often all over the place. I know many of us uh, in Valley Bible specifically have had a long, interesting, beautiful, hard week. Uh, Lord, as we dive into your word, nourish us. Would we be confronted? Would we be awakened? Would we be... Uh, stirred by your power, by your spirit, by your truth, as we open the word of God to be nourished. Nourish us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so yeah, we're back in Exodus. So let me give you a little, little precursor. So we are looking at kind of the, 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 the history of uh, God tabernacling among his people. And really, uh, we're going to start in, in, uh, in Exodus but, but to give you a little bit of a preview before that, really this begins in Eden, right? Where you have creation, where God creates man and woman. This is, you know, Genesis 1, he creates creation, right? He creates the earth. He creates all that is. And you have this, this withness where God is with man and man is with God. And uh, God creates woman and man and woman and, and God are all together in this beautiful uh, communion, right? And then really quickly, chapter 3, things go sideways where the fall happens, right? Where there's the separation between, between God and man, even a separation between man and man. There's now conflict in humanity. There's conflict between God and man. And so right out of the gate, we get beautiful creation. We get kind of God with man as kind of the, you know, and I mean man, I mean anthropos, I mean people, right? So God together with humanity. And then by, by chapter three of the Bible, it goes sideways. And then you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that pass with this longing and this ache and this wonder for what is to come of this relationship between God and man. And so you don't have 
really God and man in a, in a dwelling sense until we get here, we get this picture. So this is, this is a, a Exodus 25, specifically in verse 8. So this is a bit of a topical because we do this with Advent. So I'm, I'm cherry picking a little bit of these texts. Uh, and so it will be a little bit with this series. Um, but this is part of the beauty of it. We kind of get to see these kind of biblical themes throughout the whole Bible. So this is Exodus 25, verse 8. He said, let them make me a sanctuary, God says, that I may dwell in their midst. Right? Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all of its furniture, you shall make it. So God has, so what we're looking at this morning is four aspects of God tabernacling with us. Right? Four aspects of God tabernacling with us. And the first one, the first aspect of, of, of why he is doing this is that he may dwell in their midst, that he would be present is the word. First point this morning, there'll be four realities, four aspects of him tabernacling. The first is that he may dwell in their midst, that God has been working from creation onward, that he would be with his people and there's sin between us. And yet God has not been silent and God has not been passive. He has been actively coming for his people. And so he sets up this reality of uh, he, he has delivered Israel right from bondage in Egypt. And then as they're in their wanderings, he sets up this actual tent. So go ahead and put the, uh, put the graphic up there. So he is present with his people. So this is the ESV study Bible graphic. There's great graphics in the ESV study Bible. I highly recommend it. You can, if you, if you buy the ESV study Bible, you have digital access to, you can copy and paste these bad boys. Um, so this is the tabernacle, right? And we're not going to get into all the furniture. We're not going to get into all the lampstands. We're not going to get into all the, the details of it. But the picture here is that God said, I want to be in your midst. I want to dwell with you. And so, so I want you to see that he wants to be present with his people. So when, when, when we read John 1.14, we don't read that as a people who go, okay, God dwelling, tabernacling, tenting, camping with his people. Okay. No, no. We have this rich history of God saying, you are mine. You are my people. And I want to be with you, right? The title of this series is Pleased to Dwell. God did not have to be coerced. He didn't have to be convinced, which is funny because there's actually kind of a, a little argument in Exodus 33 with Moses where it, you read it, and we may look at some parts of it here in a minute. You read it and it's like, wait, is Moses having to convince God? No, 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 no. God has been persistently through all of humanity seeking and working and building and pursuing because he is pleased to dwell. He's delighted to be near. He created us for union. Sin entered, but that has not stopped God's pursuit. And so we are a people who see that God loves to be present. He loves to be in our midst. And here's the cool thing. This series is going to build. So we have the tabernacle this week. We're going to look at the temple next week. We're going to see kind of God's, God's kind of unfolding of how this plays out. God's always got a plan and a strategy and idea behind what he is doing that is always kind of unpeeling and unfolding before us. And so 
really kind of this, this first clear picture that we get here is, uh, again, taking this idea of tabernacle is that he is present with his people. Second, let's go to Numbers 2. Numbers 2.2. Two. Numbers 2.2. Two. So he is present with his people. He is, he is, he's giving this picture that when you would roll up on the people of God, you would look and you'd see this, 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 this tent, right? And Numbers 2 will kind of draw this out. Um, I'm just going to read what's on the board because I didn't bookmark it, but I'll read it here. So the people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard, not meaning he's making up his own kind of rules. Standard means flag. You old, you know, people who have not read, you know, I, I would not have known the standard. It's a flag. With banners of their father's houses. There it is, explains it. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Go ahead and put up the graphic if you would. There's all sorts of great things. So, so here you go. I'm going to step down with y'all so we can look at this. Sorry, you guys online, if you can't see me. Um, so look at that. So in the middle there, you see where that smoke and lights is coming out of? That's the tabernacle. And then look at all the, look at all the tribes. So there's right, the, 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 the 12 tribes of Israel that are surrounding there, right? They have them all broken out. Um, and so they have these different arrangements for the tribes. Here's what I want to see, right? Is that, that God loves to be present with his people. He is seeking to be present. He is doing it in such a way even that when you're a, you're a foreign army and you roll up on Israel and it looks, you know, this is a rendering. It didn't look exactly like this, yeah, maybe. But you'd roll up and you go, what's the thing in the middle? So God loves to be present He's pleased to be near us. God so loved the world that he sent his son, right? He did not have to be coerced. So that's the first reality is that he's present. But the second reality is that he's central. He's central. So you are, you're, you're moving around with the people of God and you roll up on a, on a foreign country, right? Or a foreign country rolls up on you and they're going to see this. They're going to see that picture. Go ahead and put back that graphic. Just leave it up there for a minute. Go back. You yeah. Backward? I don't know if backward is a thing. Yeah. Nice. That's great. Um, there it is. Grace to those guys in the, in the booth. Okay. Um, and and it, it's always terrible to have to run PowerPoint if I'm preaching because it's like, who, who knows, you know, where we'll go. Um, so, right. So, so central. That Notice the, the orientation of their living, the orientation of their day-to-day. Right? Imagine if we had a way to have our actual, literal, physical existence, where we lived, where we ate, where we moved, all was literally, physically around God's presence, that it would be central now, we struggle with this for numerous reasons, which we won't get into all of it. But as we unfold this series, there's a beauty to this. The centrality. We believe that Jesus Christ is the center of all existence. That all things, he is the, the gravity by which all things make sense, are made clear, are made new, are made beautiful. All things persist because of the centrality of the person of Jesus, the work of the gospel, because of who God is all things come together. And yet here you see it. And Numbers 2 outlines that they would be a people oriented around the kingship of God that they would never forget. Imagine waking up in the morning and you get up 
you go to get breakfast and you're like, all right, you know, my boy over in the tribe of Dan, I got to go get some bagels, you know, from the tribe of Dan. And you got to walk by the tabernacle. This beautiful picture and this rich history behind what we get in John. So we see that God is pleased to dwell. He's present with his people. And hear this. So he's present with his people, with the tabernacle, in a way that he wasn't before. God's always been working, right? God's omnipresent, so he's everywhere. So in some sense, he doesn't need to be like more present, right? He's already present with his people, right? Good theology, right? Good study of the Bible will say God is at all times, in all places, right? At work in all ways. God is, God is there working. He is omnipresent. And yet, even with that, he said, no, 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 I'm going to be present in a special, specific, odd kind of way. I'm going to make a tent. It's odd, right? I mean, think, think about this. Someone comes up to you and they go, hey, what's with that tent? You're like, oh, that's our God tent. Come again? Yeah, yeah, um, God that we worship who created all things. He, he lives in the tent. And they'd be like, oh, huh. They think God lives in a tent. Keep moving, guys. Go, go. You're right. They would think it was odd. And it was odd. It was peculiar. It was specific. God's making a point. He's doing something. He's being present in a special way. So he's pleased to be present. But he's, he's then in all of the portraits, all of the details, all of the arrangements, he's making a point. And I think one of the bigger points being made is this arrangement where they, they, they have the central reality is who God is and that God is pleased to dwell in their midst, right? So he's present. He's central. Third, I didn't know what to do at this point because it's, it's like, how do we dial this in? And we go back to 114, right? Let me read that for us so we can make sure that's, that's our orienting text. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory. That word. Now we're talking about weird words. This is a weird word, right? We don't sling the word glory around in the day to day. And when we do, it usually has something to do with sports or, you know, I don't know, pop stars. I'm not even sure, right? He tabernacled among us, and this is key. We have seen his glory. So we have, he's present, he's central, he's revealed, revealed specifically. Here's why this is important. You have an omnipresent God, all powerful, who created all things, sustains all things. These are beautiful words. They're wonderful words. They are true words. And yet they are a bit far off, let's say. You go, okay, well... And, lo- and people love, you know, the guy in Chick-fil-A on campus loves to leverage this. I mean, who's to say, bro? You know, God could be in this sandwich. It's a good sandwich. So, I don't know, man. Whatever. Who knows? Well, we know. I don't just mean we like Valley Bible. I mean, like, people. Why? Right? Because God is present. God is central and he's revealed. He is making himself known. This glorious reality, right? Put, put, if you can, can you go back? I'm, I'm, I know I'm jacking with these people. 
I now realize I'm like, I'm using slides and I'm going to milk them. There we go. Look at that middle thing. Look at that. What's happening? There's smoke and lights coming off of it. Yeah, talk about odd, right? Like what is happening? Right, we see this actually before the text I read in, uh, in Exodus in 24. I'll just a little, little snippet for you. This is before the tabernacle. This is on Sinai, right? Talking about when Moses goes up to the mountain on verse 15, then verse 16 says this. This is, uh, if you're tracking, uh, Exodus 24, 16, but you don't have to flip there. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. Hear the break in my voice. A devouring fire. And on the top of the mountain, in the sight of the people of Israel. Look at verse 18. This gets even crazier. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. So the picture here is you have Mount Sinai that's covered in a devouring, fiery smoke, which another part of the story, they're like, "Um, do you guys want to go up to see God? They're like, no, Moses, you go ahead. That looks terrifying. You just, you got that, Moses. We'll, we'll, We'll wait here for you, right? Because God is revealing himself. He is making who he is, how he works. He is making his glory clear. And I should say clearer, because even when we see it, we still go, well, what does this mean? So the first thing we talk about being revealed, a couple aspects of this glory, of this uh, third point is revealed. He's present, he's central, he's revealed. The first thing is approachability. Now, that's a weird one with what the text I just read. So here's this God who's all powerful. He, he, literally, he, he literally runs the cosmos. He, he runs all things. He's, he's able to do anything he wants. He can create planets and worlds and he raises the dead. He can do anything he wants. He, he parts oceans. Right? And I don't know if you know this, but the history of the gods, lowercase g, is a tumultuous, angry, vengeful reality. So to hear about a God who can dash eternities with but a whisper, approachability is not the word. And yet, here is this odd sort of God who delivers his people from bondage, directs them in where they're going, and sets up a tent in their midst. And then their leader, Moses, actually meets with this God. This is Exodus 33. Meets with this God face to face as a man meets with his friend. God is saying, listen, yes, I am powerful. Smoke, devouring fire, the parting of oceans, the raising of the dead. I do all of that, God says. But... I'm here. I'm pleased to be in your midst. You you can draw near to me. I want to be with you. It's this tension that we get with the holiness of God and the power of God and the wonder of who he is. And then we look at the the milieu and the sin and the difficulty and the smallness of who we are. You're going, how can it be 
that a God would look at my life and go, yeah, yeah, I want to be with him. I want to be near that guy. Surely in the history of the world, when God beheld Brett Johnson's life, he looked at a lot of other dudes and was like, yeah, 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 we'll get to you later. And yet God is, is, is making himself known. He is revealing himself so that we would behold his glory and not be repulsed by it, but be drawn in by it, that we would see who he is and we would go, I'm kind of afraid. I'm kind of afraid, but I, I also, I can't look away. This is the life of every beautiful saint, by the way. And I don't mean saints like the Catholics. I mean people who love God, right? You're drawn by them because you see them as beautiful and lovely and sacrificial and wonderful. And they just exude this, this presence of God. That, not that they're like the spiritual, you know, holier than thou. I mean, they're people that you like. They're people that you're like, wow, man, that, that woman is just amazing. And you know what often happens? The, the next thing that'll happen is we'll go, yeah, she probably wouldn't want to be friends with me. Like me. Because I know the stuff that I do. And if she knew the stuff that I did, she really wouldn't want to be friends with me. So there's an attraction and also a kind of a drawback. Like, yeah, yeah, I probably can't. Right? Anyone who's ever dated has experienced this. Right? We're like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, she's so cute. Oh, she probably wouldn't give me the time of day. She's too good for me. Right? Yeah. Right? And then sometimes, this is you know, a little aside, uh, you approach said person and they're like, sure. And you're like, oh, what? Right? So, approachability. This is an odd one with the glory of God, and yet that's exactly why he tabernacles among us is that we can just see his power and we can just see his glory and we can sing about the might and the wonder and all that he's capable of. And yet, do you feel that he is pleased to be near you? He makes himself accessible, visible, knowable. In some ways, he's so wondrous and mysterious, he just seems like a man, like some sort of fictional something. And he goes, no, no, this is what I'm like. And he gives us the tabernacle. And it's odd. And it's foreign. And it's strange. And it's lovely. And we go, this seems great and it seems weird. Yes, such is the kingdom. And so, he makes it approachable. He makes it distinct. He makes it unique. It's something unlike what they've seen. It's unlike what they've known. It's odd. So it's this, this, this revealed, right, this, this, this making yourself approachable. It has kind of these three aspects. It's approachable, it's distinct. But then there's, again, I, I was wrestling with this language of glory. How do, we, how do we talk about this? A king revealed. That's what this is. When they say, what kind of a people are you? Who do you follow? Who is your king? They go, you seen our tent? And people are like, okay. Right, because in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, you probably missed this on the graphic, in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle is this little box, this little gold box. The mercy seat is what they call it. Right? It's the Ark of the Covenant. And above the Ark of the Covenant is this mercy seat. It's kind of odd. It doesn't look like a chair. Right? We've all seen Indiana Jones. Right? The Ark of the Covenant. 
There's a seat. You're like, I don't think I want to sit on there. But God would have his presence dwell in a special way. Again, he's everywhere. Why does he need to do this? And the answer is he doesn't need to do it. He doesn't need to do anything. But he's pleased to dwell with his people. He's pleased to draw men and women to himself. And this will unfold as we unpack next week the temple as well. But it's a king who is seated. The king of Israel was always supposed to be Yahweh himself. And later in the story, as we read the Kings and the Chronicles, you have the people who are whining and complaining because like, we want a king like Donald Trump. We want a king like Joe Biden. Look at these other countries. They have people, like human people. We want one of those. And God's like, I'm your king. Why do you need a king? I am your king. And here in the tabernacle, it's this picture that Yahweh is enthroned in the midst of his people. A king is revealed, and he is pleased to be there. Do we believe that, church? God is not tolerating us. He's pleased to be with us. God so loved the world. Right? Imagine his excitement as the birth of Jesus approached. By his, I mean our God on high. Where he's like, I've done all this preparatory work tabernacles for years, right, as they wandered in the wilderness. He's pleased to do this work. He's present, he's central, he's revealed, and this last one is odd. You can't talk about the tabernacle without using the word odd. It's, it's unusual. The fourth reality of the tabernacle is it's transient. Kind of an interesting word. It's transient. Which is why we have a hard time with Jesus, partially. So the God on high, who is present, central, revealed, you're telling me. He became a baby. Like he came out of a woman. How does that work? Well, John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He's transient. What do we mean by that? So this is, you probably didn't notice, you thought this was probably like some little, this is actually an illustration. So he's transient. You know what this is? It's a flower. And actually, do you know what, what kind of flower? Oh, you all are saying it. It's a carnation. Huh. Car carnation, that sounds familiar. The incarnation. Huh. Uh, I'm not doing like a cheesy joke here. Uh, this word for this flower is named from the same Latin source, right? Do we know why this is called a carnation? Carne, right? If you speak Spanish, carne means beef. <laughs> right? And, you know, you like good Latin food, you like some, give me some carne asada. Mmm, mmm, lunch. Okay, uh, focus. Um, but this came, comes from the same word, right? The, the reason they named this 
a carnation, right, is because it means fleshy. And when you look at it, you, you know, right, it kind of it kind of looks like if you if you peeled open your skin. I know I know that sounds weird, but that's but that's what this is named for, is that there's there's this like fleshiness to it, right? So what do we mean that 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 the, this tabernacling among us is transient. This is part of why it's, it's difficult because people are like, but I thought God was like everlasting. Flowers fade. But this is a, a great picture, right? When we see this, right? Nobody repulses and runs. Like, oh gosh, what is, oh, get that out of here. Right? I saw a bouquet last night and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not even that into flowers. I'm like, oh, you know, a lot of times they have these, very, that one's very subtle, right? We have an orchid or something, which is the aroma fills the room. And, and so, so there's this, this fleshiness, this, this transience to, the, to Jesus. He, he, he becomes a baby and, he, and then he grows. He's a teenager and he, he becomes a man. There's, this, there's this, like this, this transient, this crushable nature, right? This, is, this, this isn't steel, if I throw this on the ground, which I, I don't even want to do, it pains my soul to think about and crush this beautiful flower, it would crush right away. You're telling me that God became man? Like, like a flower? Like he, he became a crushable thing? Yeah. There's a transience and a necessary one with the tabernacle, which Jesus embodies quite well. Because he was, what's the word? Crushed for our iniquity? So the God on high chooses to enflesh himself, to become human, to tabernacle among us. And part of the portrait there is that there's a kind of inbuilt, um, taken on, willful uh, weakness. Huh. Odd. So strange. That the God of all the cosmos would enflesh himself and become crushable. Huh. This is the inbuilt transience of the tabernacle. That, that sometimes in God's wonderful, mysterious way he works, he, he builds things on purpose that aren't sufficient to fully explain the story. He, he gives us tents. Because if you know the story and you're going to hear the story over the coming weeks is that the tabernacle wasn't the end goal. He, he tabernacled among us because uh, in the tabernacle, he takes a blind and deaf people and he explains to them things far beyond what they can comprehend by giving them things they can comprehend. He goes, all right, do you see this tabernacle? It's a tent. And they go, I know what a tent is. This one's a little odd. It's got weird things coming out of it, but I, I get a tent. He goes, good, just, just hold on to that for maybe a century or 40 years, or, you know, whatever the timing is, right? Just hang on to that. Okay, all right, we're getting this idea. Sacrifices, altar, okay, cool, tent. And then he does away with the tent. And he, he builds something else. And you're like, well, well, I, well we, we like the tent idea. That was good. That was good. That was a good one, God. Good thinking. It's helpful. He goes, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's not about the tent. There's more to the story. He's unfolding. So as we begin Advent, as we behold Jesus 
who is born a child. We are beholding the unfolding, beautiful good news that God was pleased to be near us and went to every length to secure our eternal bond to him in that nearness, in the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't do it on accident. He didn't do it flippantly. He spent all of human history preparing for the day to come. Can you imagine his excitement? May we join in that, in this season, that would not be about presents and Santa jackets, no offense. <clears throat> by all means, partake of Santa jackets, by the way. But, but what we would be a people who are expectant to be continually pointed to the eternal reality of God's so loving the world that he sent his son to tabernacle among us. Because he loves us so much, he likes to make himself known so that we can behold the glory, not just in clouds and smoke and fire and lightning, but, but also in ways that we can go, what does the glory of the Lord look like when it's embodied in a person and lived in such a way? And we say, behold Jesus. And then he what? He takes us. He invites us to become this kind of person. A Christian, right? Those who bear the name and the likeness of Christ. And he goes, now, now go. Now that you've been born again by the blood of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ, that you've believed on the truth of Christ, would you go and, and you now become uh, another tabernacle? Now, not in the perfect, uh, you know, Jesus is the one, the only, right? But he sends us out of these little mini tents that say, look, uh, if you like this tent, uh, there's, there's a really, really beautiful one. And so he was pleased to dwell among us. He is pleased to be present. He's pleased to be central. He loves to reveal himself. And he's, and he's pleased in the temporary form of the tabernacle to be transient. Meaning he's, he's building to something. Uh, the song has just begun this morning in Advent. And so the music will build as the weeks pass. And then the crescendo will come at Christmas Eve, where we will celebrate that God sent his son for us. And he loved to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are too kind to us. We deserve coal in our stockings. We've We've been bad boys and girls. We have sinned against you. We have sought our own good. We have sought our own glory. We've sought our own revelation. We have sought to be our own little gods. And even in that, you were pleased to send your son. Lord, would we marvel at the wonder, even of the tabernacle, this temporary transient picture of something more that's to come. Would we marvel that you are a God who illustrates yourself who teaches who you are, who reveals who you are in a myriad of ways. You have not been ambiguous, especially in the person of Jesus. Would we delight in the specificity of our King? That he was a man who came, he was God, he died, he rose, and he eternally invites until the day comes when judgment is before us.
After all the inviting, all the pursuing, all the sending, there comes a day where all of the choice will be gone and all that will be left is to delight in your presence or to be cast away in judgment. And Lord, will we be people who delight in you? Who delight in the goodness of what you've offered? Help us to draw near to you. We need you to rescue us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.